Now as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but he was born blind so the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. Believers have tried to make sense of disability, just like the disciples were trying to do in John chapter 9. Does God make people disabled? Is disability a curse because of sin? And how can we make theological sense of disability? And furthermore, what can we hope regarding disability in the new heavens and the new earth? These are very important questions for us to consider today as we explore the theology and disability. And we begin with considering the theological story of what was, what is, and what will be. And this is a general story. It's not specifically related just to matters of ability and disability. That God in Genesis 1 made all things, and he made humans in his image, and it was very good. As David would later testify in Psalm 139, that he himself was woven together in the womb, and it was done uh, in wonderful ways by God. That God has provided gifts including skills and talents, to different people in different measures in different ways. We see this in Matthew 25 and 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. Now, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin and death entered the world, according to Romans 5 and Genesis 3. And in this way, corruption and futility entered and has defined the creation as it presently stands, as Paul would relate in Romans 8, 17 through 23. But God the Son has taken on flesh and has dwelt among us, and he has shared in humanity and its subjection to corruption and death. In John 1.14 and Romans 8 and verse 3, that Jesus himself suffered from limitations and impairment to the point of death, even death on a cross in Philippians 2 and other passages, and that Jesus has overcome sin and death through his death and resurrection, which provides the means of redemption for humanity and also the creation through suffering and then exaltation and resurrection. Colossians 2.15, 1 Corinthians 15. And so our hope is that the body remains subject to corruption and death because of sin, but the spirit is light because of righteousness in Romans 8, 9 through 11. And that just as Jesus has risen from the dead, believers in Jesus maintain hope of resurrection from the dead, which is a transformation of that which is corruptible and mortal into that which is incorruptible and immortal. In Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, Philippians 2 and 3. And this is the overarching theological story that we have. It's the story of the Christian faith, what we're promoting when we promote the Christian faith. And so how can we make sense of disability within this theological story? Now, the presence and reality of disability is understandable within the greater story of human corruption and limitation. That the scriptures bear witness to God creating all things and well composed. Human beings, therefore, were made with a set of faculties with basic and universal functionality. You have faculties like eyes for sight, legs for support and movement, things like that. And basic functionality involves the ability to perform the functions and movements for which these various parts were designed. Now, you can imagine more complex or specialized expressions of that kind of functionality. So, for instance, ballet dancing, which a person may not have the skill to perform well, but they can still maintain the basic function like of the legs, like walking, things of that nature. Now, universal functionality involves broad abilities to function across time and place. And what we mean by that is that it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you've grown up, uh, wherever you've come from. You know, eyes see, uh, leg, ear to ear, legs move, things like that. Now, all things in the creation are subject to decay and corruption, and that includes human bodies. And so the presence of disability and disabling conditions is only possible on account of this corruption. So you can accurately say it is because sin is in the world. The challenge 
when we do that, though, is that we start associating sin with the presence of disability is how you get to what the disciples are concluding. Well, who sinned, which is why this man is born blind. It's no longer being seen as sin is in the world, therefore there is corruption, and therefore a person is blind through no fault of their own and may have nothing to do with anything that their parents or them did. Uh, it just might be a condition in the creation. Uh, just like we all have various things that, that we experience uh, because of this same type of uh, fundamental challenge and fundamental issue. And this decay and corruption manifests itself in various ways. We have mutations in DNA that might lead to disabilities or disabling conditions that might express themselves at various stages of life. We have immune systems. Uh, and those immune systems are there to overcome bacteria, fungi, viruses, and other things in the body that might cause it harm. So there is suffering from infection, injury, or disability from infection, but there's also autoimmune conditions from the immune system wrongly attacking parts of the body, which also can disable. We, people can endure accidents or suffer violence from natural disasters or human behavior and become disabled as a result. But independent of matters of corruption and decay is another issue that is there theologically, and that is a matter of human limitation. Because even if Adam, Eve, and everybody else avoided sinning in the garden, imagine we're all still in a kind of you know, prelapsarian situation, we would still remain created beings. And as created beings, we are finite with, lim therefore, limited capabilities. And we're not given the impression Adam and Eve were superhuman, so to speak. And what I mean by that is complete capacity in all respects and ways. Uh, I do not believe that because Adam and Eve were placed in the garden and were made without sin meant that you know they had an infinite ability to understand uh, computational physics and chemistry, biology, matters of philosophy, and also could play basketball better than Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and hockey better than Wayne Gretzky, you know, things so on and so forth. Right? That not all expressions of distinctiveness among human beings are a result of decay and corruption. And this goes back to how God has given everyone differing abilities and different amounts of abilities. The flip side of talent, gifting, is that we are limited in various ways. Um, and therefore, even in the resurrection body, why would we assume that we're all going to suddenly develop complete capacity in every respect and every way? That we're, going not, we're not going to be God in the resurrection body. We will still be created beings, and therefore we'll still have limited finite capacities in incorruptible immortal bodies. So that's the overarching challenges here that we have, theological issues involving disability, but also just understanding human limitation in general. And there are some more specific things we can get into uh, when it comes to disability and theology. Uh, and we need to be careful at this point. We really need to respect our definitions. According to the Centers of Disease Control, a great dis definition of disability is any condition of the body or mind, impairment, that makes it more difficult for the person with the condition to do certain activities, which is an activity limitation, and interact with the world around them, which involve participation restrictions. And so it does remain important for us to understand how disability is a result of the fall of man, a result of the introduction of sin and death into the world. And that's how we can best understand how to approach the question of whether God has made people disabled. Because, yes, there's always the sense in which uh, God has made each and every one of us, that we are all his children, and that that was only possible through his active, creative, sustaining power that allowed us to develop in the womb and ever since, um, which we saw in Psalm 139, Acts 14, and 17. But when we say that, it doesn't mean that God has specifically cursed somebody with a specific kind of disability. A disability does not need to be interpreted as a sign of God's condemnation or displeasure, 
because it can be understood as a result of the decay and corruption that's inherent in the current state of the creation. We also have to confess that God has brought plague and pestilence upon people as judgments, in like Numbers 11, 1 Samuel 5. In John 9 and verse 3, when Jesus responds to his disciples, it certainly sounds like he is saying the man was born blind so that uh, the works of God could be manifest in him, a.k.a. that Jesus would heal him. Uh, so there may be some theological things going on with some people and some of the things they are experiencing, but it remains inappropriate to condemn anyone who has some kind of disability by presuming it happened because they sinned or their parents sinned or something of the sort. Because disability and illness are part of the human condition in the present corrupted creation, and we don't need any further reasoning demanded of it. And none of us are in that position of God to know exactly what he has done and for what reasons that he has done, does it. But a major challenge about ascribing disability to the fall is the ease that a lot of people then use that information as a blunt object uh, against those who have obviously presenting disabilities. That this, along with the confession of disability as a result of the fall, we need to also confess the universality of disability. All of us, each and every one of us, is subject to the prospect of disability, either now or in the future. That all of us have likely been disabled at some point by something, and we might all suffer some kind of disabling at any moment. So again, remember the definition, the core definition of disability as impairment leading to activity and participation restrictions. So for instance, do you wear glasses or contacts? A disability, right? Because it is an impairment that restricts your ability to see without some kind of corrective lens. Have you ever been sick to the point where you can't go to work? Or have you broken or sprained any uh, an arm or leg or wrist or something like that? Those are disabilities. You've suffered impairment which have restricted your ability to function. In Genesis 32, when Jacob wrestles with the angel of God, his hip socket was dislocated. He walked with a limp. That's a disability. Now, somehow, let's say you somehow missed out on all these things. At some point, in some way, you will experience some kind of disabling condition. If nothing else, you will become so old at some point that you will experience the limitations on participation that attend to the kind of decay that naturally comes with older age uh, that the preacher so vividly describes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So when we're considering matters of disability, we need to, in humility, confess and remember we're speaking in terms of extent, not kind. It is not that there are some who are the disabled and some of us who are the abled. Though it's a matter of extent that we all have limitations to some degree or another. There are not some who are uniquely uh, somehow um, disabled or having impairment, and some who have no impairment whatsoever. Because whatever and however we think of someone who manifests mental or physical disabilities with chronic conditions or illnesses, we should also think of ourselves because we often are or have been disabled as well. And the other major challenge when we consider disability involves the relationship with limitations. Because again, if disability is impairment leading to activity and participation restrictions, we can see that more as a spectrum than perhaps as a binary, either or. Because after all, what does ability or disability look like, say, in the game of basketball? Right? We exalt Michael Jordan and LeBron James as exceptionally gifted and skilled basketball players. None of us, even professionals, and play basketball as well as they did. Can we not consider all of us as disabled regarding basketball in comparison with Michael Jordan and LeBron James? So we all have impairments uh, in our game that they do not. Now, professional basketball players may not all be as skilled as Michael or LeBron, but they can and would destroy anybody who's an amateur. 
Uh, it's so funny. You think you watch them, you think you could play better than them. No, you could not. If you actually get on the court, then they will destroy you. So are not all amateurs disabled or impaired in their basketball game compared to any of the professionals? Now, amateurs may not all be the best players, but if they play a decent amount, you know, and you have certain situations, you have the stamina and strength to physically participate in the game for 60 minutes or maybe come out for a few minutes, but for the whole game, right? Now, there are many of us who may understand the rules of the game and could, you know, shoot a hoop or two, but we just would not have the stamina or endurance to be able to play a full game, full court. Uh, wouldn't those of us who can't handle the full game be disabled or impaired relative to the game than those who can? Uh, and then, like I said, there are those of us who maybe can shoot a ball, dribble a little bit. Um, but there may be others who might be passionate about basketball, but cannot physically manage even to shoot a hoop or to dribble or something like that for various reasons. Now, we have never considered a challenge looking at these last as disabled, right? Because they're not able to physically do even the, in, the, small, the shortest sign of it, right? But then there are those who have no knowledge of basketball at all, no care or concern for it, perhaps or who, for other reasons, cannot mentally or physically conceive of or even consider basketball. Now, when it comes to those who, by volition, don't care about basketball, I probably wouldn't say they're disabled or impaired regarding basketball, although that's certainly the case. But certainly those who have no ability to mentally conceive of the thing, we would understand also as disabled. Now, as comparison, what would ability or disability look like in terms of physics? Well, now in physics, Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, J. Robert Oppenheimer, etc., are gifted physicists, right? That we might say uh, Jordan and LeBron are great basketball players, but they are very much disabled regarding physics compared to Einstein, Hawking, and Oppenheimer, right? Uh, so though even if you are the uh, greatest demonstration of one thing, doesn't mean you're the greatest demonstration of anything else. And hey, maybe Einstein, Hawking, uh, definitely not Hawking, especially in his older age, uh, Oppenheimer might have really uh, enjoyed playing basketball, but they, of course, are no Michael or LeBron, right? Uh, now, there's also professionals who understand physics well, right? And there's also passion amateurs. Um, but there's the rest of us who find physics maybe a little more challenging. And if we are just not able to as conceive of physics in, in, in the way that these other guys are able to, are we not kind of impaired regarding physics, right? Now, of course, those who cannot comprehend much of anything about physics because of lack of capacity or interest, we would definitely say are disabled, impaired regarding physics. Now, we kind of resist this framework a lot of times, right? Because we, we think about these things in terms of skill developments. We think, okay, yeah, sure. If I, I may not be the best basketball player, but if I work at it, I can at least probably get to the point of doing this or that. Or if I really took a lot of time to try to study physics, I could maybe get a basic handle on it, right? But even if we did put all our time and effort in understanding basketball or physics, We'll never have the capacity to play basketball or understand physics like the masters or professionals. And is that therefore not an impairment restricting ability and participation? And so our natural limitations in some respects can be understood as disabilities. And this is important for us for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, it's a reminder in humility that if we see ourselves as functional and able, we remain limited. And those limitations can well be understood as disabilities. And it's also a reminder of how those who do experience disabilities in life are most often not completely and thoroughly disabled, but they do have abilities and skills in other areas that those who are more quote-unquote functional and able people find themselves limited. And sometimes those skills and abilities are related to or stem from what is deemed their disability. Now, the prophets imagined a welcoming for the disabled and ill, which was denied to them under the law of Moses. But they also extended the hope of curing and healing. 
uh, in uh, the future. In Isaiah 35, 56, 61, Jeremiah 31, Micah 4. The Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among humanity as Jesus. And in a very real way, he took on disability. And he redeemed it through his life, death, and resurrection. John 1, 14, Romans 8, 3, 1 Peter 2, and other passages. Now, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God by teaching, but he also healed the blind, lame, mute, crippled, and others who experienced disabilities, as we can see in Matthew 15, Mark 7, and a host of other passages. And the apostles proclaimed the kingdom of God in Christ by teaching, and often gained the opportunity to do so through the act of healing people with disabilities, as exemplified by uh, Peter and John healing the man born lame in the temple in Acts chapter 3. But not everyone with disabilities and illnesses have received healing in that way. Some received healing through other means. Others did not receive physical healing in this life at all. So a lack of physical healing or curing does not mean somebody is alienated from God. A disabled person is somehow not less than in Christ because they have a disability. We need to return to that premise of how we all have experienced disability, and it's not all expressions of God's wrath. That we await the resurrection of life, in which the body is transformed incorruptible and immortal, no longer experiencing pain or death in 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 21. Now, what gets redeemed and what might not get redeemed in that resurrection? Now, the only model we have for the resurrection, of course, is Jesus. We are told that his body has died to death to die no more, and it's glorious in Romans 6 and Philippians 3, 20-21. But we also have witness that his resurrection body bore the stigmata, the wounds that he endured on the cross on his wrists, his side, and his ankles. This is how he is able to invite Thomas to put his hand in the place of the nails in his wrists or in his side. And this is when we return to that distinction between corruption and limitation. As the resurrection body is incorruptible, thus any corruption of basic universal functioning of anything in the body would be transformed for immortality and would no longer hurt. That basic universal functioning will exist in all parts. Now, there might well be signs of the wound scars of life, like Jesus' stigmata, but they will not impede basic universal functioning. But even in our resurrection bodies, humans will remain limited and finite. Maybe we will all be able to play basketball like Jordan LeBron and understand physics like Einstein and Hawking. But God has not proven unfaithful if we can't, if we still all maintain different skills and abilities, even in the resurrection. And so it remains possible that we might experience some diminishment in function compared to others in the resurrection, and yet all of our parts of our body are going to function as God intended from the very beginning. Because that which hindered those functions, the sin and death and the corruption that came from it, will have ended. Now, we've considered theology and disability, and we've seen how we are all disabled to some degree or another as a result of the fall and the corruption inherent in the creation, and that some of what we deem disability might be limitations which we will always experience. But we all look forward to the transformation of these corruptible bodies into the incorruptible, immortal resurrection bodies when the Lord returns. And that's why it's important for us all to faithfully serve God in Christ to obtain that resurrection of life in him. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions, comments, or thoughts about disability and theology, the matters we've talked about, we'd love to hear about them. Please let us know in the comments. Uh, please uh, subscribe to us and share this message if you found it beneficial. I'm Ethan. We work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're a non-denominational church of Christians in Los Angeles. We'd love to be of encouragement and service to you. Would you like to have a Bible study or Bible correspondence course? Can we pray for you? Uh, do you need to talk to somebody, or would you like to meet with us? Please let us know. Please reach out to us at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. You can also find us on all kinds of forms of social media at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. May the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.